You are now listening to episode 13 of the Saints Edified podcast. This is your host, Arturo. I just want to thank you once again for tuning in. Now we are on part three of my discussion with my pastor, Reverend Randy Martin. If you haven't done so already, I encourage you to look back at the last two episodes. The first part and second part of our discussion, um, I believe, was very insightful and edifying. And also just so you got better context on what we're talking about, it might be a good idea just for you to listen to those quickly. I don't want to waste too much of your time. I'll go ahead and start the last part of our discussion. Enjoy. I'm going to ask a question first, and then after the break, we can come back okay. and answer. They typically say um, morality itself does not prove God. And I think parts of the debate, you was trying to argue that. Morality has nothing to do with what I'm saying. I want evidence. I want evidence, you know. And knowing that God is um, not physical, that you could find somewhere in, in outer space, um, but, but yeah, I, I do want to go down that route um, after our break. So Okay. okay. The question of morality uh, ought to be at the forefront of Christians talking about their faith, Christians talking about the world, uh, Christians even debating or discussing or dialoguing about the truthfulness of the Christian faith because the problems in the world today are at the root of them moral. Uh, people like to say that, well, they're political. There's not a political issue that doesn't have its grounding or its origin in something that's essentially moral. Uh, politics is about how we treat human beings in the aggregate. Uh, morality begins with how we treat people at a very personal kind of level. Morality is how we, how we treat and regard other human beings. The idea that there can be politics divorced from morality is as ridiculous as the idea that we can educate apart from morality. Mm. When school systems want to see children um, teachable, they try to inculcate in them certain kinds of virtues. The virtues are we respect each other here. We, we have rules by how we're going to treat one another, how we're going to treat the room, how we're going to... All of those rules are essentially what we call moral rules. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if you... Uh, disguise that by calling them something else. The truth of the matter is, is that the way we treat one another is what we essentially mean by morality. Uh, morality uh, is, uh, and you can talk about issues like right and wrong, good and evil, justice and injustice. But all of that, uh, those kinds of ideas and concepts, is all about how we treat one another. Hmm. So, I don't understand skeptics who would want to dismiss morality mm. as not being essential to the question of God's existence. It seems to me that that's a kind of way of trying to divert the discussion and divert the argument uh, from ground on which they find themselves um, uh, anything but sure-footed. Uh, the best atheist philosophers have constructed ethical systems but they recognize that those ethical systems uh, are only grounded in rationality. A rationality which, if you have reasons for not thinking the same way I do, then my argument doesn't really compel you to be, quote, moral. Um, and uh, we've seen this. In fact, I brought one of the books that... Uh, spoke to this. Uh, it was written in the 1980s, Alistair McIntyre, mm. about justice. It's essentially whose justice, which rationality. And his point was that in, in all of the modern debates we have in politics, 
and from the political level down to the personal level, um, we discuss justice again and again and again. And his point is, well, your understanding of justice is tied into your understanding of rationality. But if you don't understand the world rationally, the way another person understands the way the world is rationally, then your moral terms are going to be, in some sense, different from one another. You won't mean the same thing. And we see this clearly in capitalism as an economic system, but also a political kind of system. An understanding of justice doesn't mean everybody gets the same amount of the economic output. Justice doesn't mean that. But in socialism, uh, that framework determines the definition of justice as meaning equal outcomes for everybody, that everyone gets the same amount. So there are very different ideas. So if you, if you don't share the same presuppositions, if you don't share the same understanding of the world, then what happens to your morality is going to be deeply affected. Mm-hmm. What you mean by basic terms, good and evil, right and wrong, justice and justice, uh, will not be the same. Right. Maybe that diverts a little bit from no, the question. It, of, yeah, uh, it's just it helps because I think that's what it comes down to. You know, um, one thing when it comes to like the presuppositional approach, some people think it means, or at least how some skeptics and even those who don't hold to the to this method, uh, what they'll say, they'll say things like, "Okay, well, I think it's up to the Christian to to prove that morality means that God exists, or, or that objective morality." There are some atheists, ironically, who believe in objective morality. And, and we're saying that's the most inconsistent form to have of atheism, you know, when you want to hold to objective truth and objective morality um, or absolutes and yet still remain an atheist. It's, what's, the, what's the bridge sure. there? So, so it's easier to be an atheist who believes in objective truth and dismisses morality entirely than it is to be an atheist who believes in objective truth and objective morality. Mm. David Hume pointed that out. David Hume was a disbeliever in the existence of God. So he makes it very clear that he believes in objective morality, objective, the objective world. Mm-hmm. Uh, he does himself, as a skeptic, point out problems with ultimately the scientific method because of the issue of cause and effect. I'm not going to talk about that. But Hume was one who essentially said that morality, and what we call morality, is simply the way we as English people... Europeans and so forth. It's the way we react to situations we don't like. Mm-hmm. And so uh, he, he basically said you can't tie in murder as something objectively evil because you can't derive that out of nature. So his point was the way the world is, the isness of the world, mm-hmm. never translates into the oughtness of the way we talk about things. It's the is ought issue that uh, really we trace it back to Hume and the huge impact that had on how we thought and talk about morality is is incredible because every kind of moral system that tries to tie morality into the way the world is or put it this way the way the world is we know descriptively there is no ability for us to say but the way the world ought to be ought to look like this. Right. Where do we get the ought? Right. And that's the problem. And Hume made it clear, and it's been impossible to get past this in the history of philosophy. Hume made it clear that we can't get the ought out of the way the world is. Hmm. 
That is, you can't derive the idea that murder, properly defined, is evil because you can't get out of nature what is evil and what isn't. And especially this is true since Darwin. Uh, with the tremendous acceptance of Darwinian evolution as sort of foundational to the modern scientific view of how things are, uh, we've seen that many things that happen that we would describe as part of the Darwinian process uh, involve things that we would say, especially when it comes to what we are as human beings, we would say, well, those things aren't right. Those things are evil. People ought not to be that way. But if Darwinian evolution is true, then the development of human beings uh, for the sake of survival uh, didn't start by saying, uh, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Mm -hmm. It doesn't start with saying, love your neighbor as you love yourself. It doesn't say, begin with saying, uh, do not bear false witness against your neighbor. It doesn't begin by saying, uh, thou shall not steal. Uh, all of those kinds of rules that we trace to what makes for a civil society in our world today, uh, you didn't get them out of Darwinian evolution. So about that, Randy, you actually brought up a really good point in the, in, um, I think it was the final question he asked you. And you actually made the point that like five of the Ten Commandments or six of the Ten Commandments, you can actually see it back in different cultures and uh, around yes. the world. I, I remember that. And I, yes. he didn't really respond to it even in his last uh, closing statement. And that's the one thing about this debate that was a bit frustrating. You know, is he was using that submachine gun approach to you and you were answering, you're catching as much bullets as you can, you know. Uh, but at the same time, you know, he wasn't really answering yours. With that being said, you know, um, and I really do hope people look, go on YouTube or, or wherever the debate's online. It's on Vimeo as well. Vimeo, yeah. One, one thing that I just want to make a quick comment on, and before I ask you just one more question, the video that I saw was was like titled like Edward Tabish uh, Thrash's uh, Christian uh, teacher or something. The the comment section was filled up guys that, that were saying like, oh, we didn't know what's evil and that's Christianity. Or they would quote a, a master's in divinity, LOL, uh, just mocking, mocking mm -hmm. and insulting, right? It's just a little strange to me that I see this pattern a lot, and I really and I really despise it when Christians do the same thing. You know, with guys like uh, Dawkins, you know, like they'll say like, "Oh, uh, Dr. Craig smashes or or uh, destroys atheists," because the way how I see it, Randy, and like you were talking about earlier, if we really believe that our position is truthful, we don't have to appeal to slander or mocking. Clearly, you were you've been educated and you've been you've been challenged a lot, and and you can answer these questions, but at the same time, um, they want to just Instead of attacking your position, they they attack the actual Christian, and uh, you know it's, it's a common thing you see a lot online. I, I think I told you before I saw recording that some of these are thoughtless, you know, because they'll say things like Christianity is evil, and we're saying, okay, well if you think it's evil, by what standard? Are you, yes. What standard are you using? You know, there's no way you could be a moral person and be consistent if you're an atheist. It has to lead you to um, something outside yourself, and I think that's where the tag argument. Uh, well, you you do see that that what I was doing with Tabish was a form of the transcendental yeah, argument. Yeah. Right. Our theology is what drives our apologetics. Uh, would you agree? Well, uh, archaeology has helped a lot. Yeah. Uh, and certainly uh, New Testament studies in terms of um, what was going on in the New Testament world. So okay. archaeology and the sort of the, uh, the cultural anthropology right. of the Roman Empire. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of things that, that drive, and history, a lot of things drive our uh, apologetics and evidential historical apologetics. Mm -hmm. 
So if you want to talk about uh, methodology a little bit before we close. No, I, I definitely want to talk about that. But I think more importantly, what I really want to ask you is your your reference to free will. Oh, free will. Yeah, because sure. a lot sure. of people will say, oh, wait, he's a reformed Presbyterian. Yeah. And yet he referenced uh, so, free will. So, you know, I've, yes, uh, I'm not unfamiliar with um, reformed people mm-hmm. who get a knee jerk angst. Mm-hmm. Uh, when a reformed thinker uses the idea of free will. Um, so need to explain something here. We're dealing with an argument that's about metaphysics. Does God exist? We're not dealing with an argument about soteriology, how people are saved. We're not dealing with an argument as to why it takes a particular atonement and divine election in order to save people. So we need to recognize that the discussion of free will has two distinct categories. The question of free will at a metaphysical level. The question of free will in terms of a soteriological context. Okay. So let all your listeners know with respect to the soteriological context, no human being, when he's dead in his trespasses and sin, has the, quote, free choice or free will <laughs> ability to choose Jesus. Mm. It just doesn't exist. Right. But outside of that context... Uh, because he's dead in his trespasses and sins, he lives in a world where, number one, the world is not mechanistic. And number two, it's a false analogy to think that human beings are like robots. Mm -hmm. We are not, in any sense, programmed like robots. We definitely do not live in a mechanistic world. All of that is materialism. Mm -hmm. And we don't live in a world that is, quote, materialistic in the sense in which from Democritus in the ancient world all the way up to today would describe the world as materialistic. We don't live in that kind of world. We live in a supernatural world. We live in a world in where there's uh, the physicality of things, but there's the metaphysicality of things. And there's no question in my mind that free will belongs to the metaphysicality of things. That it's our ability to live in a world of cause and effect where things matter and immaterial. And we are able to make choices that are certainly not determined by the physical nature of the universe. Um, I had the opportunity in my undergraduate work at UCLA in philosophy to spend an entire course and uh, uh, term, a quarter term of 10 weeks, one-on-one with a professor in the department studying the question of free will and determinism. So... My background in that is thorough. My background in that is extensive in terms of uh, having read a lot and dealing with it a lot and writing about it. Uh, And so all that we would say across the board from William Lane Craig to Plantinga to Mm -hmm. Paul Helm and others, Francis Schaeffer uh, was very strong on this. We don't live in a mechanistic world. Mm -hmm. Now, the other side of it is uh, having read Jonathan Edwards, having read Christian Libertarians, um, having read uh, others, uh, J. Oliver Buswell, um, uh, read uh, Robert Raymond, um, all the the systematic theologians as they write Mm -hmm. about free will. Mm -hmm. The conclusion I've come to, I mentioned Gordon Clark in this as well, the conclusion I come to is this. The nature of free will, that the, what the confession calls our natural liberty, Uh, The nature of that is what we might say philosophically is a black box. Now, a black box is something like what the human or the uh, biological cell was 
before we develop the kinds of microscopes that enable us to actually look into it. Mm. Behe's book, Darwin's Black Box. Okay. What Behe said was this. Uh, Darwin didn't understand the mechanisms that went on inside of the cell because he couldn't see it. And therefore, his theory of adaptation through natural selection faltered because he didn't understand the mechanism going on inside of the cell. He did, had no understanding of mutation, nothing. Hmm. Nobody yet has penetrated into the nature of the soul such that we can definitively state what free will is. Hmm. However, um, we have said um, for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that in order to be morally responsible, we must, in some significant sense, be morally free. Mm-hmm. So when I point to the free will defense as a credible kind of defense against the problem of evil, mm-hmm. uh, all I'm really saying is, is that the way God has created the world never necessitated any human being to do evil. Mm-hmm. And, and we recognize that. The confession is very clear. Yeah. Did God foreordain Adam's fall? Yes. Did God cause Adam to sin? No. Hmm. Now people say, well, Arminians will say that's logically inconsistent. And I would say, you've never proven that to be the case. Right, right. And you can't prove that to be the case because if that is the case, then you have a problem with, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, right. uh, that whole passage where the apostles pray and they quote from Psalm 2, and they recognize that what Herod and Pontius Pilate and all the rulers did in crucifying Christ, they did what your hand and your will predestined to occur. So are they morally responsible for everything they did against Christ? Mm -hmm. Yes. Did they freely choose to do those things against Christ? Yes. Uh, were those things they did absolutely predestined? Yes. Right. Is the Greek language there, by the way, the strongest way to express absolute foreordination right. and predestination of all things? Yes. Mm-hmm. So where does that leave us as a Christian thinker? We have to be, in some sense, compatibilist. We have to say that human free will in the metaphysical sense right. and God's sovereignty in its ultimate sense are entirely consistent with each other. Right. Right. I look at. I can't explain fully the nature of the one and the three and the three and the one and the Trinity. Mm-hmm. Right. I can't explain the hypostatic union between the true nature of the divine and the true nature of that human and coming together in the person of Christ. Right. I can't explain how my individual and personalized sin is actually a consequence of Adam as the human mediator in the covenant of works. And I can't explain how my righteousness or how my sins were imputed to Christ. There are things there that scripture clearly, clearly teaches. But how and why and all of that, I would put into that black box. That is to say, the scripture teaches these things so clearly. I believe them. I don't think they're intrinsically inconsistent. I don't think they're illogical. Uh, they explain so many other things. Mm-hmm. And, and the power of any kind of theory is its explanatory power. So the fact that there's some black boxes in our theology mm-hmm. isn't an issue to me and has never been an issue for Orthodox Christian theology. Right. Kind of why I was asking you that question, whether you thought theology 
forms our, our method because that was my next question was about free will. <laughs> it actually helps me understand a little more now when I hear these discussions between um, these Christian philosophers and how much they put down free will. And I'm like, the way how you describe free will is not really what I disagree with. You know, I, I think we, we're missing each other here. So hopefully that helps people. You know, sure. And, so. and I even see, you know, uh, folks as brilliant as William Lane Craig uh, and others and, and their understanding of Reformed theology to be fairly deficient. Right. Yeah. And the deficiency there is that um, Arminian theology lost its um, commitment to the full doctrine of original sin, the Augustinian Lutheran reform doctrine of original sin, best articulated in the Westminster standards, mm -hmm. far better than the continental standards. Mm -hmm. But in the Westminster standards, the doctrine of original sin, whereby we clearly see the representation of Adam in the covenant of works and the representation of Christ in the covenant of grace, mm -hmm. such that what Adam did, all of us are guilty and accountable for. Mm -hmm. What Christ did, that all of us are justified and are recipients of. Right, right. But the importance there is that Adam had full soteriological and metaphysical free will. Hmm. Because Adam had the ability right. to choose to obey or to disobey. Right. That's just crystal clear. Yeah. Even though his fall was preordained by God, his freedom was even greater than the freedom of those who put Christ on the cross mm -hmm. because he had the, the freedom of contrary choice mm -hmm. to do right or to do evil. Right. Whereas apart from grace, all human beings can only be choosing among the choices, alternate kinds of things consistent with their nature. And their nature is such that, um, the heart is deceitful above all else and desperately right. sick. And no man does what is righteous, no, not one. Yeah. No one does good, no, not one. And they're dead in their trespasses and sins. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's and, good. You know, and we could say, Edward, this is essentially Edward's position. We all choose according to our nature. Right. And if our nature is spiritually dead, then, then ultimately everything we do is going to be uh, contrary to uh, what God would require of us. Yeah. Oh, one philosopher, uh, he actually, in an interview recently, he said that um, he defines free will as basically any choice you make, you can make the opposite. The Greek notion of free will mm -hmm. was the idea of contrary choice. Okay, okay. Pelagius uh, had adopted the Greek notion of free will. Okay. Right. And that's what Augustine comes along and basically says, um, and that's where the development of uh, the doctrine of original sin becomes so important, so powerful, is that essentially Pelagius is denying uh, the consequences of Adam's sin uh, in such a sense that all the statements about us being uh, dead, spiritually dead, um, uh, Romans chapter 3, verses you know, 10 through 18, all of that description of total depravity, essentially Pelagius was, was um, not giving that its due, mm. not really crediting that as being an accurate description of what we are. Uh, Pelagius was e essentially saying that we are in the same situation Adam's in. So any Christian philosopher who thinks that we have the power of contrary choice um, is wrong. We don't have the power of contrary choice. We can't choose contrary to our nature. Mm. Now, if it means choosing to uh, do something in terms of contrary, that is, uh, I could mm -hmm. either love my wife faithfully or go sleep with a harlot. Yeah. You know, if he's talking about that, no, the, the historic treatment of that has been, those are alternative choices. Right, yeah. Those are not really contrary choices in the sense in which the yeah. Greeks said it to begin with. 
That's good. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's good. Yeah. Equal power in both directions. We do not have equal power in both directions under the fall. Good, good. Yeah, well, that, that, that's good. So there, there you have it, folks. Uh, Pastor Randy does not believe in <laughs> Armenian free will. So, uh, no, well, that's good. Um, one final question before you go. Uh, is it biblical to baptize babies? <laughs> that's where that's where uh, brawley because he's always trying to uh, i make a post about unity and love and everything yes and the first thing he asks do you baptize babies <laughs> so that's spells for him there um but anyways yeah randy thank you so much i really appreciate this um and uh and i do think the debate will be helpful for people to listen to thank yeah. you and, and is there anything you want to say before we close out or anything uh, no, I'm I'm fine, and and well, I will say something about all the nasty comments about uh, how <laughs> lousy I did against Eddie Tabish. You can always say consider the source, um, but secondly, I think you made the most incisive comment uh, to uh, attack the man mm-hmm. rather than attacking his arguments right. uh, is always the ploy of those who aren't capable of attacking the arguments. Mm. That's good. Yeah. Um, I know we went over our time, but uh, but thank you. I, I know you're, you're I know you're very you're busy. So no, I appreciate um, the opportunity to do this. Yeah, Arturo. and we should do it again. So yes, let's do it. Well, friends, I hope you enjoyed that discussion, and I hope it was edifying to you as much as it was for me. And I just want to quickly remind you that we do have a Patreon. Uh, if you want to be a supporter of this ministry, go to www.patreon.com/saintsedified. All right, well, friends, until next time, so let you go, yeah.